So I'm going to try to live up to the standard of our uh, worship leaders this morning they set for us here. Great job, y'all. Um, so one of my favorite things to do as a child was to play war. And I had the little army men, and I would set them up, you know, over my house. Or at one point, we lived in this duplex, and there was this creek, um, and it had like a creek bed side to it. And we'd, I'd set the army men up on either side, and I could really just lose myself for hours just kind of playing like that. And as I got older, the stakes got a little bit higher. Um, I, one Christmas, I woke up and unwrapped this present right here. That is a Navarone Mountain playset. If you are unfamiliar, uh, any other 50-plus-year-old people have the Navarone Mountain playset? Am I the only cool kid in, in church today? Yeah, and on the, that's actually, I have, that's not mine, but I've got one just like it in my garage um, that I still have. I've held on to it, and I've actually played it with my, both of my sons multiple times. So, um, yeah, you, now you know how I got chicks so easily. You're like, <laughs> that's the secret. Um, then when I got even a little bit older, 10, 11, 12, um, me and my friends used to go, I lived like a block away from William Jewell College in Liberty, and that campus kind of became our battlefield. And we would take our tennis rackets slash machine guns um, up there, we'd split up teams, and we would just annoy college students for hours, um, shooting them behind bushes, and um, when we would shoot one another you know, then you'd had to play dead for like 10 seconds, then you could be resurrected back into the battlefield. And I think what I loved about war and, and playing like that um, was that I have a very strategic mind. And so I love the, the idea of like trying to outsmart your opponent and figure out how to sneak around and catch them off guard, right? And so with all that in mind, it's no surprise that I'm pretty excited about the passage we're going to talk about today and just the imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians 6. So as we've discussed over the course of this sermon series, there's a certain posture that we've kind of said goes along with different sections or chapters uh, in terms of like how the reader, what the reader's posture should be as they read it. So chapters one through three, we talked about our posture during those chapters is just kind of to sit and just kind of absorb and receive this unbelievable news of God's deep and abiding love for us and this identity that we get that flows out of the fact that we've been chosen and adopted as a child of God. And we talked about um, kind of looking at those truths as like a jeweler um, kind of inspects a diamond and, and the multifaceted um, love of God and just to spend time kind of just soaking that in. Chapters 4 through 6, the start of chapter 6, our posture then moves from sitting to walking. And we've talked about, you know, once we've received and understand God's love for us, that we then begin extending it out in the other relationships that God has for us in this world. And so we've talked about church relationships, relationships with people out in the world. We've talked about marriage relationships. Last week we talked about, you know, parent-to-child relationships. And today as we can continue in chapter 6, our posture will change once again. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. It's page 1670 in the Pew Bibles, and the Reverend Robert Willoughby will be reading the passage for us this morning. Good morning, my people. <laughs> <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and against the, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay. So the operative word for our posture today is stand. Okay, so we've gone from sitting to walking now to standing. And when we, uh, each one of you, if you've made a decision to kind of give your life to God and, and to pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ, we have all entered a battlefield. And there is this battle raging on the spiritual realm all around us between um, God and his uh, angelic warriors and Satan and his demons. And as image bearers of God, humans have been Satan's primary target since the Garden of Eden. And Paul is very clear that we have to stand firm. And we have to resist the, the attacks and the schemes of the devil as he tries to take that, that knowledge of chapters 1 through 3 about who we are in Christ and what our identity is. And he tries to, to mar that and, and to distract us from those things and lie to us. Um, as well as he tries to, to mess with the relationships that we're supposed to have in chapters 4 through 6. And so he is attacking us on, on all of those realms. And verse 10 begins today with several good reminders. And the first one, the first two words out of his mouth is be strong. Okay, so you have to remember the context. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. These are new believers, okay, that are living in a town with a lot of pagan idol worship. And he's telling them, guys, this is going to be tough, right? This is not going to be an easy journey. There's going to be opposition from without. <laughs> There's going to be opposition from within, because we all live in a world that is, is our God-haters, okay? The way in which the world operates is in opposition to God and his ways. So we're fighting that battle constantly. But then we're also fighting this battle from within, right? We have our flesh. And our flesh is constantly trying to pull us back. It's dying this slow death. And it's trying to pull us back into our old ways of operating before we began a relationship with God. And there's this just internal strife that we're feeling all the time. And if we aren't experiencing some discomfort in our faith journey, then we're probably not on the right path. Okay, because it should feel at times just like this war raging inside of us. And when we are aware that, that we are in this battle, many of you have felt that, experienced that, then we have to be careful that we don't get exhausted. Because exhausted soldiers and, and, and fighters who are hungry or wounded that they're not very effective in the battle. And they become really easy targets for the enemy as well. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David is talking, um, and he's kind of under duress and, and attacked and kind of harassed by his, his enemies, his worldly enemies. And it says in, in that verse, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And Paul says in the rest of verse 10 there today, after he says, be strong, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So what do you think that looks like? I'm asking you a question. 
for David to say that he strengthened himself in the Lord, or for Paul to say, hey, you need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, well, what exactly do we do so that that happens? How do we strengthen ourselves? What does that look like? Go to be fit, right? If Brad were here, he'd say, you just need to lift more. No. What do we do spiritually to be strong, to strengthen ourselves? You be in his word? Okay. Yeah, what else? What, why? Why we get in his word? Yeah. Yeah. So we remind ourselves of God's strength when we might feel like we're not very strong, right? Who is God? What is his character and nature? What do we know about him? Okay. What else? How else do we strengthen ourselves? Yeah. Well, what you said to me um, is you better stand for something or fall for anything and pray for God's guidance and his will and the power to carry that out. Okay. So we come to him in prayer. We ask him for guidance. Help me. You know, to navigate this uh, time, this season with the right perspective. Okay, what else? Yeah. Surround yourself with other believers. Surround yourself with other believers. Why is that so important? Um, because having them to can lean on is going to strengthen your relationship and also keep you closer into who you're at yourself with positive steadfastness. Okay, yeah, so we just we monitor the voices. You know, who am I giving permission to speak into my life right now? And are those people people that are pointing me to God or people that are, you know, pointing me to worldly ways and worldly means of, of operating, okay? And in some strange, mysterious way, um, when, we, when we allow ourselves to, to be strengthened by the Lord, the Lord's power becomes our power. I want to show you a couple of verses, just great reminders. In Exodus 14, it says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Okay, this is right before they're getting ready to go through the Red Sea, right? And the, and the Egyptians are coming after him. He's like, hey, the God's going to fight for you. Just chillax, settle down. Watch the show unfold. Go to the next verse. This is from Ephesians. We already, we've already studied this. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Right? We've got this incomparably great power in us because Christ is in us. And his power then becomes our power. Right? He's loaning it to us. Verse 11 says, to put the full armor put on the full armor of God. This means that God is providing for us the protection that we need. It's like laying out, you know, you're like, let's say you're a parent and you bought your kid a Halloween costume that's a, you know, of an armor of a soldier. It's like, put on this outfit that I've got for you. I'm giving it to you. Here it is. Okay. I want you to look at um, Isaiah 59, 17. It says this. It says, this is Isaiah talking about God. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head, he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So the Old Testament, God is the one wearing the armor, and then he loans it or gives it over to us. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Okay, God is fighting for us, and he, he's laid out every piece of equipment that we need 
to be successful in the battle. But the key thing is, is that we have to wear every part of the armor that he gives us. So it's, it's kind of like football equipment. Okay, I remember when my son Zach played football. You had to go to this shed over by Lafayette, uh, by Krug Park, and you had to get your football equipment, right? And we'd lay it all out and stuff all the pads in the pants. And so imagine that you're a football player and you get all of your equipment. It's been checked out to you, okay? But you go to the first game and you only put the pants on. So all you've got is thigh and knee pads and you know, a crop top mesh shirt, right? Show off your abs, right? And you step out on the field and you're ready to go to battle. What's going to happen to you in that game? You're going to get destroyed by people who have shoulder pads and helmets on, people who are better equipped. You've been given the outfit to protect you and help you be successful, but you've chosen to just kind of ignore it and think, oh, I got this, I'll be fine in knee pads, right? And the people in the full uniform are going to have a distinct advantage, even if they're less talented than you are, right? And that sounds a little bit like a ridiculous example. I've never seen anybody run out on the field in knee pads only. But I fear that there are a lot of Christians who kind of go through life kind of like that. Just kind of completely unaware of the spiritual battle that's going on for their hearts every day. Underdressed for the challenges that are facing them in life and, and, and the blows of the enemy just keep coming. And they're wondering, why, why, why can't I be healed? Why, why, why am I not changing and being transformed? Why am I constantly struggling with thoughts of just hopelessness and, and defeat and despair and, and frustrated and confused in my faith? And guys, we have to be clear this morning. The devil is scheming. He's scheming. The Greek word there for scheme means to stalk. Satan is stalking you. All right? Hide your kids, hide your wife. All right? He's stalking you. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. You probably heard this verse. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Does that sound like somebody who's just kind of playing around? Whose enemy? Yours. Your enemy. Hey there. <laughs> the question I want to ask you guys is, do you live your life, your Christian life, like there's an enemy trying to devour you each day? Do you live with that kind of awareness? Does your prayer life reflect that? Guys, I know there's a lot going on around here. I need you to really listen to what I'm saying here. Does your prayer life reflect the reality that Satan is trying to devour you every day? Scripture refers to Satan as a liar, an accuser, a destroyer. And we've talked about many times at Wellspring that any movement by us towards God is going to be opposed by the enemy. He is not going to stand by and watch you be freed from sin, watch you be healed, watch you move towards reconciliation with somebody who you've had some enmity with or forgiveness, extend and receive forgiveness. He's not just going to stand there and let that happen. 
His mission for us is the exact opposite of that. He came to, to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's not going to stand by while, while an opposing mission is, plays out. That's why living like Jesus is so hard. <laughs> it's why being humble and why um, swallowing your pride and asking for and receiving forgiveness from somebody else, that can feel like death sometimes. Why? Well, because all along the way, the enemy is whispering lies to us, trying to do whatever he can to keep that reconciliation from happening. So he fills us with pride and justification for how we acted and, and you know, evil things about the other person. They were wrong. And, you know, I mean, he just, he's working, pulling the strings, pushing on the, the triggers in each one of us so that the, the kind of love that Jesus has that we're supposed to be living out in this world doesn't happen. So that strife and war and bloodshed, all those things continue to perpetuate. And when we are experiencing spiritual attack, that's usually a sign of some spiritual health in our life. You're doing something that's getting the enemy's attention, and he doesn't like it. So don't, don't think that if you're experiencing attack that you're doing something wrong which is sometimes what we communicate. Oh, well, you just need to read your Bible more and pray more. It's like, no, actually, you might be reading your Bible a lot and praying a lot and living for Christ, and that's why you're getting attacked. <laughs> so make sure we're, we're real careful about how we counsel people in that. Verse 12 starts by reminding us who our real enemies are. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And I started thinking about that flesh and blood, and that can really kind of be taken in several different streams. So I'm just going to throw out kind of all the possibilities that came to mind for me. Flesh and blood, Paul could be talking about just the world in general, and the world and how it's, it's talking about earthly things, okay? And so just the reminder here is that this battle is spiritual. So we can't handle things with worldly tools. We can't go about combating the enemy the way the world does. When we get in arguments in the world, you know, we, we accuse and we fight or we take people to court and all that stuff doesn't work in the spiritual realm, okay? Those, we need different tools, and so we'll talk about those here in a minute. Secondly, flesh and blood can mean our family, our relatives, which is kind of how we use it in our language most of the time, like this person, he's my brother, he's my flesh and blood, right? We talk about that. And Paul just spent a ton of time talking about marriages, talking about parent-child relationships, Okay, And we've all experienced that, those times of feeling like our husband or wife, our mom or dad, our brother or sister are the enemy. Right? When we're frustrated and angry and hurt. Guys, here's the reality, is that our family is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Okay? But listen, when someone is hurting emotionally, or spiritually depleted, or maybe they're kind of underdressed for battle. They are prime targets for Satan to lie to them and to twist the truth in their mind and to fill them with all kinds of feelings and accusations kind of meant to pierce our hearts. And we've all been there. But I just want to share this with you, and I hope you really can latch onto this today, okay? In those moments, like with your family, where things just are, man, they feel like the enemy, right? Do, in those moments, do we, do we really believe that that's not who they want to be? 
That's not who they want to be. Do you believe that? Because I can tell you, in my heart of hearts, I never, ever want to be the husband, son, dad, who's a jerk to my family. Like, that's never who I want to be. So in those moments, when I am being that way, what I need is for my family, I need my loved ones to remember that I'm not the enemy. I, I need them to, to see that I'm hurting and that I need prayer and that I need grace to live into my true identity. So I want to get some thoughts from you guys on, on that situation. When you're in those places where it's like, man, sure does feel like the family's the enemy. And what we need to do is respond this other way. Tell me about just the battle that goes on there. Um, why, that's a, why that's a struggle. Maybe a time when you've been extending some grace, when somebody could have seen you as the enemy, and you're like, man, they, they did this, and that really helped me to remember what my true identity is. Any success, failures, thoughts, I'm, I'm open to hearing all your junk this morning, all your dirt. How has that been a battle for you? Yeah, Will, did you get Rachel's permission? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's talking about just struggling with your own identity. And when you're kind of uh, just seeing yourself as not a great person, it, it becomes very difficult to, to see the identity that who you are outside of those kind of ugly moments that we have, right? That's really good. What else? Quite the chatty crew this morning. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, it is hard, <clears throat> right, when we're hurt. And, and really, when you think about it, like, what a great plan by Satan. Let's take the people that are supposed to love you the most, and let's make them the enemy, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a brilliant tactic on his part. 
And so as believers, like we need to not play into his plan, right? Which is difficult because it, it takes getting some perspective and getting away from the initial, ooh, man, you're pushing this button and I really don't like you right now <laughs> to, to pull back and say, hey, wait a minute. Like, what do I know about my wife? Like, you all know Kristen. Like, Kristen doesn't want to hurt anybody, right? So even when she is coming at me about something, it's like, that's not who she is. She wants the best for me. Like, she gave her life to me. Like, she pledged her life to, to be my wife. Like, why would she have ill towards me, right? And so I've got to have some perspective to see that. And a lot of times it does take community. So thirdly, since Jesus redefined family, remember the people came to Jesus and said, your mother and brother want to see you. And he's like, who is my mother and brother? Aren't they anyone who does the will of the father is my mother, brother, sister. So Jesus redefined family as our, our, our Christian brothers and sisters. That's our real family, our flesh and blood. So our church family is flesh and blood too. So again, the folks in this room, in your small group, people that you volunteer with in church, they are not the enemy either. Even though they might do things to frustrate you at times, um, we are all one in Christ Jesus, one body. Remember um, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul said to make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. And sometimes there can just be a lot of friendly fire that happens at church and people getting wounded here when it should be like a safe place, right? Where we're coming away from the battle to come in here and like be refreshed, right? We're getting like a soldier, like gets a, a weekend, you know, away to go and rest before they go back to the front lines. So if our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, and who are we fighting? Paul says we're fighting the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. And guys, when you hear language like that, rulers, authorities, powers, that speaks of organization, Okay? Satan has amassed an army, and he has plans, and he's given direct orders to, to go and mess with us. And so it's really important that we understand that as his targets, as, as image bearers of God, that the things that happen to us in life aren't just coincidence. They aren't just haphazard things that go on. Okay, now I want to do to specify this. Sometimes we just make dumb choices, and that's not spiritual attack. That's just us being dumb. All right? So some people kind of try to spiritualize everything, and it's like, you know, I parked in the handicapped spot and I got a ticket. Satan's trying to get me today. It's like, no, you're just stupid. <laughs> okay? So there's self inflicted pain, and then there's, you know, poop in the kennel pain. All right? So. We have to remember that <laughs> real quickly, all right? The things that happen to us aren't just haphazard. Satan means business. And so in the midst of that, as he's scheming and stuff, guys, we have to scheme back, right? He's, he's planned. He's organized. We have to have some, some scheming ourselves. And one of the things that we need to do is we have to remember that Satan's power is limited. We have to remind ourselves of some really powerful truths, okay? Paul wrote in, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, this reminder, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Not angels, not demons, not any powers of the dark world can separate us from God's love. So even in our darkest moments, God's love is right there with us, committed to us, okay? He never flees from us. Back in Ephesians 1, we were given this reminder in verses 19 and to 21. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So you see a lot of this similar language, powers, authorities. It says that this power in us is the same power that's seated in authority. Okay, so what he's saying there is that Jesus' authority, Christ is seated above all. His authority is absolute. So we should have no fear. Okay, because he is above all those authorities of the enemy. Finally, Satan has an end. There's an end to him. Okay, a couple verses. 1 Corinthians. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Okay, it's talking about Christ. Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, so, so Jesus has won the victory over these things, all the ultimate victory, right? Satan may mess with us in this life, in this flesh, but ultimately we're going to be in eternity with him, and that's something that he can never take away or destroy. We can hope in that. Okay, and this is how we are to, to, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, is when those attacks come in our life, we remind ourselves what is true, what is true about Christ his love for us, his position, his authority, and, and remind ourselves about the limitations of Satan and what he can and can't do, okay? Verse 13 tells us to put the full armor on so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, not if, but when and how. Those are the questions, okay? So we need to expect it and be ready, we need to get our armor on, says, so we can stand. In verse 14, it says, stand firm. In military terms, that means hold your ground, right? If the, if the commander says to the, the unit, stand firm, hold your ground. Hey, guys, we are dressed and ready for battle. We got our outfits on. We got the weapons. We're supposed to hold this, this territory, this hill, this city, whatever it is. Stand firm. Hold your ground there, okay? We are, we are going to be attacked, with stand firm also communicates there, there's no retreat. There's no giving up ground. Stand firm. And we can fight without fear because 1 John 4, 4 tells us this. It says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the enemies, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Our dad is bigger than their dad. Okay. God is mighty and above all. Now, verses 14 through 17, we have to remember that Paul is writing this from prison in Rome, this letter, okay? So he's literally standing next to somebody who is guarding him, who's dressed in armor. And so I can imagine him writing this and just kind of looking over and just looking at the Roman soldier's outfit and just t putting it in spiritual terms, with the helmet, the shield, okay? And I'm not going to go through each one of these parts here because honestly, like, just Google it, armor of God, and y'all can read for weeks. There's plenty of material out there.
Okay, so I want to get just a little bit more practical for you this morning, okay? I want to just have some closing thoughts on what I feel like have been some successes um, that I've learned about how to battle the enemy. So right now, as I was writing this, I was kind of picturing like an old grizzly drill sergeant, you know, and they got the new recruits around them, and, and then they're like, hey, Sarge, tell us about what happened at this battle over here, right? They haven't seen the enemy yet, okay? So I feel like that old guy. If you haven't seen old movies and just pictured, what's that guy's name, Sergeant Carter? Um, yeah, in Gomer Pyle, Sergeant Carter? Yeah, that's me right now, <laughs> channeling my inner Sergeant Carter, okay? So before a soldier hits the front lines, Okay, and never goes into battle. What do they do first? Okay, look at this quote here. It says, before a soldier is given a gun or shown how to fire a missile, he goes through basic training. One great purpose for basic training is to build up the recruit's physical strength. It is as if the army says, soldier, we are going to give you the best weapons and armor possible. But first we have to make sure that you are strong and that you can use what we give you. Okay, so there has to be some training on these spiritual tools, these weapons that God gives us to use in battle. And as you look through that list, you can read back, review it. Okay, it's, you know, there's the, the shield and the helmet and all this stuff, the breastplate, the, the belt. The only offensive weapon in there is the sword. Everything else is there for protection, which should tell us one thing is that we're going to get hit, right? You don't give us a lot of armor unless we're going to take some blows, so we should expect that. But then we're not just, you know, defenseless. We've got a sword to attack too. We're not just always taking hits from Satan. We can fight back as well. So we have this, this weapon, and the word of God is described in Hebrews, Hebrews 4 as being sharper than a two-edged sword, right? We've been given the sword, the word of God, that's meant to pierce, that's meant to, to penetrate and inflict damage. But we need training in how to use it, right? You give somebody a sword, you know, if, if somebody gave me a sword and said, Bob, go fight this person, I'd be like, ah, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with this, right? I got to be trained in it, okay? So I want to just give you guys some advice, and uh, I want to say this to young people, but I'm really saying it to everybody as well, okay? But my advice to you guys is this, read and memorize scripture. Read and memorize scripture. As I've shared before, one of the best things I did in college was I started memorizing God's word. And I would have these little packets of memorization cards, and I, I kept them in my backpack. And so I'd go to classes, and in between class, if I had some extra time or over lunch, I was sitting in the cafeteria, I'd pull out my cards, and I would just refresh my memory on these verses. And if I was learning a new one, I would put it on my steering wheel, I would put it on my mirror in the bathroom in the morning to remind me, okay, this new verse I'm trying to remember and, and, and get, in, get in my mind here. Driving home from college... From Springfield to Kansas City, me and my roommate, who both were memorizing scripture, we would just get bored. We'd just play a game where, where he would say a verse, and then I would say a verse. And we would go back and forth, and you couldn't repeat the, you know, anybody's verse until we just ran out, and we couldn't, and we'd see who won. And I'm pretty competitive, so I really wanted to win, right? And that seems kind of dorky or foolish or whatever, but, and it was just kind of a game, but behind it was this understanding that we're going to need this. Like, we're in a battle here. The enemy's going to try to lie to us, and, and there's this truth that needs to be replaced. Okay, so memorize scripture, guys, because it's stuck with me. I, I've got lots of verses up here that have just never left me. They're there. But don't just memorize those things. Live into them. 
take a verse that talks about God and who he is and begin stepping out in faith in your life in a way where you experience the truth. Because that's when it really becomes powerful in our life, is when I can say, I know that's true, not just because it was on a card, but because I had this experience over here where I forgave somebody that I really didn't want to, and it freed me from all this pent-up anger and whatever. Like, I experienced the truth of that. And that's such a huge way to combat the enemy, is to have this knowledge of, of, of experiences in your life where the word has become real because you've lived it. And finally, as we mentioned this morning, live in community with other people. I love this phrase I came across this week. Isolated Christians are defeated Christians. Guys, I have a, a couple of men's groups that I meet with, friends of mine here at church. And throughout any given week, um, we'll text each other when we're struggling. And we just, we just shoot the flare gun up in the sky, right? Something's happening in somebody's life, and, and we'll just text each other, man, I, I just need some help today, all right? Just had a fight with my wife, want to strangle my kid, um, I'm angry, I'm confused, I'm whatever. I need prayer. And, and, and when, I, when that person invites us into the battle with them, it gives us the opportunity to encourage them and to pray for them. And we can come over and we can, we can maybe put some armor back on them. Maybe they chose to, to go out that day in just their knee pads. And we can say, hey, bro, don't forget your shoulder pads and your helmet today, right, and your sword. Don't forget those things. We can, we can re-equip them for the day. I just want to ask you this question. We brought this up too earlier. Is who are you rolling with? Who are you rolling with? Right? Because if I'm going to go into a battle, I want to roll with some cats who have been in some battles, some bad hombres. That's who I want around me. Right? Have you seen me? Can you picture me? Street scuffle? Nah. I'd get beat up, right? I want to surround myself with some bad hombres, right? So that when the battle breaks out in life, man, I've got some people that know how to use the sword around me. Some fighters. Because when I'm surrounded by my fellow warriors, then I, then I remember to stay strong in the Lord. And it reminds me of his mighty power. And their courage sometimes helps me to stand when my own faith is wavering. I can kind of suck off of their, their courage. So who are you rolling with? Last question. And Justin actually kind of gave me this idea, so props to Justin. This is the question. What's your threat level to Satan? Like when you wake up in the morning and you put your feet on the ground, what are the demons doing? They're like, hey, uh, Jim's awake down there in St. Joe. Ah, man, don't worry about him. He's not really doing a whole lot. We got other more important people to deal with today. Just let him be. Or when your feet hit the ground in the morning, is it like bells and alarms going off at demon headquarters? <clears throat> hey, everybody, battle stations, battle stations. Bob is awake. Cue the poop. 
Let's, uh, let's make him rehash that, that text from last night. Get him frustrated. He's supposed to go and preach this morning, church. Let's just let's distract him. Let's figure out a way to make sure that I know he's going to probably read his Bible and pray and you know, all those things. Let's, can we get him distracted with the conversation? Can we get him frustrated at his wife? Can we you know, give him a flat tire so he didn't get to spend time with God? Whatever it is. Like, what's your threat level to Satan? Are you a threat? I'm done. As we come to communion this morning, okay, communion is a reminder for us that there is a battle. Jesus gave his life. He was killed because there is a battle going on. That didn't just happen because the Romans got tired of him. Right? For all eternity, it was waiting for this moment, the cross. Everything in the Old Testament is gearing us up for this moment, and everything that's happened since is flows out of that moment. And so when we come to this time today, we're reminded that there's a battle going on, that we need him in us, powering us to fight each and every day, okay? So I'm going to give you some quiet time as we pray and just let you connect with God, and then you'll be dismissed to come up. There's gluten-free options at the tables as well. Just take it back to your pew, and you can take it there and just leave it in the pews. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time this morning. Oh, man, we need these reminders. We need um, your word. We need community. We need other people who have gone before us that can help just help us navigate life. And God, I wish I would have been told at a younger age a little bit more about the battle, a little bit more to, to be aware how serious Satan was at, at scheming and stalking us to derail our marriages, to derail our friendships, to, to keep us in this place of woundedness and hurt so that we're ineffective in ministry, in relationships. But God, your story is that you came to set us free from those things. You came to give us hope that our life could be different, that there is healing, that there is reconciliation, that there is a power, that I'm not my mistakes, that my identity is actually as a child of God, beloved, the son or daughter of a king. God, remind us of those things this morning as we come and, and we, we take the elements, just that reminder that you are in us, giving us the power to live the life that you've called us to live.